0: Today on the podcast, we're going to be listening to a sermon in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Welcome. This is the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Hi guys, welcome back. Like I mentioned in the introduction, uh, this is another one of my sermons uh, that I gave at a Calvary Chapel in Berthoud, Colorado, and it is in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Um, With that, let's go ahead and jump right in. Okay, so as our uh, thing goes here at Calvary Chapel, I know there's some new people here today, so I just want to explain how we do business. Uh, we like to go verse by verse through the Bible and uh, really uh, cover an entire book in its entirety. So right now I'm teaching out of uh, the book of Romans, and we're on chapter 5. We're going gonna to go through about half of the book of Romans today. And uh, just as a review, just so you guys have an idea of uh, where we're at, Romans starts with a, with a greeting to uh, those that are in Rome, and Paul's writing to them because at this point, nobody had, none of the big boys of the faith had made it out to Rome to actually uh, lay down what this theology was, what this faith was like, and Rome being probably the most pivotal place at that place in time, right? Linguistically, philosophically, uh, monetarily, they were the place for the gospel to spread from. It was just a perfect spot. And so Paul needed to write this letter and lay down the gospel. And and he does so masterfully. It's got to be the most thorough exposition of what the gospel looks like. And so he starts off and he shows that the Gentiles cannot measure up to God's perfect standard. Who are the Gentiles? Well, that'd pretty much be us, right? There might be some Jews in this room, but for the most part, it's going to be us, the Gentiles. And then... Just when you think he's, you know, he's all down on the Gentiles, because they can't measure up to God's perfect standard. They can't save themselves. doesn't matter how many good works they do, they can't save themselves. Then he changes his focus and he looks at the Jews. Okay? These are people that have had the sacrificial system for over a thousand years. They're following God's law. They've been circumcised. They're Jews, for goodness sake. They've been born Jews. And there's this mentality that, hey, we're the chosen people of God. We should be all good, Right? And so then he goes through and he shows that even the Jews can't measure up to God's perfect standard. Um, it's interesting, too. I, I just had dinner with a good friend who, uh, in his he, had a, he just went through a divorce. And uh, his children are being raised by the mother who has gone from Christianity to uh, kind of a Messianic Jew movement, okay, gravitating towards legalism. And it slowly drugged them completely off the path to a point now where she denies that Jesus is the Messiah and that we are saved through him. It's all about works now. And it, it's tragic. It breaks my heart hearing about this stuff. And you look at the book of Romans, and Paul, man, he just lays it out. I mean, he goes through one argument after another, preempting, or rather answering questions that he's gotten from various Jews, you know, that that he's friends with or knows, different questions of, well, should the Gentile be circumcised in order to be saved? Should he observe all the laws of Moses? Should he eat according to all the dietary guidelines? You know, avoid the pork, avoid tasty crab legs and bacon, you know, these types of things. How do you survive? But, uh, You know, and and he goes through and he shows all these things. You know, there is only one way to be saved. It's through Christ alone. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we pick up uh, here today, we're going to be talking about justification. We've been talking about justification for several weeks now. Justification is an instant thing. It happens at the instant you trust in Christ, you are justified. There is... Uh, at that moment, you have been saved. If you die a second later, you're, you're going to be with Christ. You have been justified, okay? That doesn't mean you're perfect. You're all dirty. you got sins. you got issues, right? Then starts a process that we're not going to get too much into today. Uh, in fact, next time I teach, we're not going to get into it, but we're going to be in a transition period where we're going to start looking at it, but sanctification, Sanctification is a lifelong process that we go through where God's Holy Spirit points out the sin in our lives and we try to clean it out, right? God helps us to remove the filth, the sin, okay? So, you know, the the world wants to say we're all hypocrites. Well, yes and no. We have issues, okay? We're all sinners still, but God is working that junk out of our lives, okay? We're striving, to be righteous. We're striving to live a life that is pleasing to our Father. Amen? Amen. So, um, we're going to go into justification today. We've been talking about it for a while, but um, <clears throat> Paul now is going to shift his focus a little bit, and he's going to talk about the, the... Some people have different counts, but I'm seeing seven blessings of justification as a result of being justified. Seven different things that... Um, are truly a blessing okay and along the way we're going to have some of my world famous uh, rabbit trails they're coming <laughs> if you guys are familiar with this text you're gonna wonder how in the world he could ever get there from here but we're even going to touch on the problem of evil a little bit atheism and creation and evolution so <laughs> how does he do it uh, Don't underestimate the power of Michael Bohm to come up with a good rabbit trail. (laughs) So, anyway, so let's go ahead. We're going to turn to chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Romans, of course. And he starts off with, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and so um, the first blessing that we're going to see is that we have peace with God. And and some of this, you know, we've been Christians for a while, so we're going to hear about these blessings and we'll, you know, we'll, yeah. But you know, really think about this: we have peace with God. We are, or have been, rather, we were people who opposed God at every level we when we were not saved right okay we opposed his will we opposed his purposes we we opposed his son i mean didn't want to believe that jesus was the messiah or that you know i'm a sinner and i need a savior we were in total opposition we were at enmity with god and now we have peace with god which is amazing it's one of those things that sometimes you have to stop and just take a deep breath and wow okay i'm good I'm okay. I've got sin, I've got issues, but I have been justified, and I have been, I'm now at peace with God. Um, Secondly, he mentions, we have access by faith. That's pretty cool, too. When you look back, and you look at the tabernacle, or the temple, um, the Jews couldn't even go into the Holy of Holies unless you were the high priest, and it was a certain time of year. You had to stay outside of that. and There was this, like, uh, really thick veil, I think it was either a foot or, yeah, I think it was about a foot thick. I mean, this thing was weighed a ton, and you could not go in there but once a year, and it was the high priest, and this guy had been fasting for a while, and they would tie a rope around his leg with some bells, because uh, if he had sinned in his, li- in his life um, and God had found him unclean, he would be found dead inside there. You know, if you didn't hear any jingling bells after a while, they'd give a couple tugs on the rope, and if there was no tug back, they'd drag you out. They really didn't have, the average Jew didn't have access to God. And of course, the Gentiles, we're outside. We're totally outside the walls of the temple or the tabernacle. We couldn't even go in. Okay? But now. As Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, we can boldly enter into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. In fact, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm recovering from a cold, guys. I was actually really bad cold. Earlier this week, I was thinking I was going to come up here on Sunday and be like, hey guys, you know, so I'm... Impressed with my voice, but if I if I hack in the microphone, I apologize. <laughs> Hebrews chapter ten verses nineteen through twenty two it says, "Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which we consecrated, which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith." having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, amen, we have access to God. We can enter in. We can approach God and and take our problems to him. Go to him in prayer. Speak with him. And then so moving on, uh, second part of verse 2, it says, so this would be the third blessing. We can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, what, what is that supposed to mean? Well, again, this is pointing back to uh, justification and just how awesome it is. We've been justified. We don't have to work for our salvation. Yes, again, we want to strive to live as righteously as possible. I'm not saying let's not. In fact, chapter 6 of Romans is going to deal with that. But we're going to strive as much as we can. But we, it, our justification doesn't depend on it. It doesn't uh, depend on our avoiding sin or our good works. And if it did, we wouldn't we wouldn't really be able to rejoice, right? We couldn't stand in that grace. But because we do stand in that grace, we can rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Um, also, kind of worth mentioning too, uh, that word "rejoice" uh, a lot of times is translated boast. Um, and It, it also kind of means like a triumphant rejoicing, um, which kind of puts a neat spin on it, right? Um, the word hope, this is pretty cool too. When we say hope, there's a little bit of uncertainty involved, you know? I hope she says yes, <laughs> but, but she might not, <laughs> you know? Or I hope I get an A on that paper, but I might get an F, you know? Or, I hope I get a Ford Raptor for my birthday on May 30th. I probably won't. <laughs> okay? Hope has that feeling of uncertainty. But this word in the Greek for hope, uh, I, I'm going to totally butcher it, but it's like hooper. Okay? Uh, no, actually, it's not. No, it's not. Back up. That's a different word we're going to hit later. It's not my notes. Forget about it. But this word for hope. It's a confidence. It is a certainty that we know something's going to come about. We know. We rejoice and we know about this. We we are going to attain this hope of glory. So awesome. Moving on to verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Okay, hold on. So wait, tribulations, is that a blessing? Oh, kind of is, actually. Um, It's one of those things, it's like, well, okay, how can we call that a blessing? I thought we were supposed to, as Joel Osteen would say, live our best life now, right? Why are we we experiencing this stuff? Why don't we get to have a cushy American experience and uh, not have to deal with the problems of life? Well, um, and, and that kinda, that's where we somewhat touch on the problem of evil. And I've, and I've talked about this a little bit in other teachings, so I won't go too crazy with this. But you know, so many people would like to point at our faith and say, hey, you know, why does God, if he's all-powerful and all-good, allow evil and suffering in this world? Why does he do that? And that is kind of an issue that we have to deal with as Christians. But don't forget, they have to deal with that too. Because it's always the atheists. I was just talking to John about this yesterday. It's always the atheists who want to throw that in your face. And they're coming from a worldview that says millions of years of death and suffering and pain brought us where we are today. So from their worldview, they can't even consist. If they're going to be consistent, they can't even say that death and suffering is evil. Because to them, again, if they're consistent, it's onward and upward evolution. It's what brought us here. It's a good thing, right? Um, But nonetheless, you know, it is an issue that Christians have to deal with. And, um, of course, we know as Christians that ultimately God is going to deal with these issues. But, you know, he's going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with death. He's going to deal with suffering. Eventually, okay, we've read the end of the book. We know what's going to happen. Um, but we also know that along the way, he does let his kids go through some stuff. Does he not? And, and why do you suppose that is? There's, there's a lot of reasons, actually. Sometimes it's for judgment. Let's just be real. Sometimes it is. Uh, in fact, uh, Glenn, I have no idea where Glenn's at. He's probably hiding in the back somewhere. Uh, Glenn is teaching through the book of Isaiah right now. And Isaiah, it's like the whole book is warning after warning after warning to the southern kingdom of Judah that guys, you just you just keep crossing me, and I'm going to send judgment. You, you're going to get overrun. You're going to be taken into captivity. And they don't heed his call. There's little revivals, a couple good kings along the way, but for the most part, they just keep rejecting God, and judgment happens. But what's interesting? There's always good that comes out of God's judgment. And there's always good, likewise, that comes out of just regular tribulations. Um, The nation of Israel, they eventually did come out of captivity. As we we see, time goes on. They get to return back to the land. And uh, they get back to the land. Now they have a greater reverence for God. But then we also get to read the story here and learn about God's character and how... um, let's be real, how sometimes he has to deal with nations. You know, in fact, we as a nation are known as a Christian nation, kind of, sort of, not too much anymore, but that kind of puts us on a different standard than the rest of the world, right? And we keep thumbing our nose at God, we might have some judgment coming down on us. I mean, it could happen. It's, it, you know, it's possible. But um, God allows things also in our life to grow us. There's, just, there's a lot of times where tribulation, it grows us. It, we get put something through something, and at the time we're like, God, why are you letting this happen? This is terrible. Years later, we come out on the other side, and we can look back in hindsight and see exactly what he was doing. A lot of times. Not always, but a lot of times. And often we can look back and say, wow, that was one of the greatest times of growth I ever had, was during that horrific... Thing, whatever it was, you know, financial, health, or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as uh, something I kind of missed here in my notes, something else that happens, there is judgment, but as children of the king, right, as, as, as being ones who are uh, one with Christ, we also experience chastisement at times, right? We're God's kids. Sometimes he's got to give us a little spanking or whatever, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 7. It says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? It's so true. I mean, we love our kids, but there's just times when you got to do something, right? Because you want them to grow up to be good. Adults, you want them to be good people when they get older. So you have to do hard things. I remember when Victoria was little and <laughs> she's like, oh no. She's riding her bike and she's, she's looking over at mom and I like, you know, look at me, I'm doing this. Not paying attention and just boom, right into the back of a parked car. And it was just like, oh, you know, she dented the bumper in. So we're like, okay, well, this is a time where we as parents got to step up we got to do the right thing. Obviously, she didn't mean to. But we went to the door of this, this family, this, owned this car, and Victoria had to tell them, I dented your bumper. You know, she's all crying and her helmet's cracked and <laughs> cuts on her arms and stuff. But we just got to do things sometimes. This is hard as a parent, but we got to chasten our kids. Likewise, our God, who is, uh, far surpasses us in knowledge, right, has to chasten us too. So yes, we do rejoice in trials and tribulations. Amen? Because God is moving us towards something. And we see in the end of that verse, it says it leads to perseverance. Um, Perseverance being steadfast in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Um, I think probably somebody that illustrates this the best from the Word would be Paul. Paul... uh, okay, here's a guy who's been beaten, stoned, left for dead, you know, imprisoned multiple times, shipwrecked, all for the faith. This guy understood perseverance. He's the guy that wrote, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I'll stop right there. True story. Paul was writing this when he was in a car and he was driving through Kansas. And he was like, and he's looking out across the desolate land of Kansas, and he was like, I have learned that in whatever state I'm in, to be content. That was terrible. Okay. We also know he was in a Honda. Him and the boys were in a Honda because the Bible says they were, they were with one accord. Oh, you. Can hell you? <laughs> okay, anyway. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul understood perseverance. Perseverance, as we move on, it says that perseverance leads to uh, character. The New King James says character. Your uh, 1611 King James Bible will will say um, experience which I think that kind of bears it out a little bit better. And like I was saying, when we go through these trials, we gain experience. We start having that ability to, to look at situations. We go into a situation where like, oh man, this is gonna be rough. This is gonna be bad. God, why are you doing this? And we stop and say, you know what? I've been through a lot of junk already. And I know that every time I go through something, god works it out for my good in the end it might take several years but in the end i will look back and say okay god was doing something there he grew me he orchestrated this he timed this and it all just worked out and 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 in our lives that is just kind of a a repeat thing i I actually really enjoy my wife and i have had this conversation many times i get a lot of fun out of looking back at situations and seeing how God has worked in my life or other people's lives. Because there's so many different times where I found myself going, God, why? Why is, this, why is this happening now? What is going on? Only to think about that situation a couple years later and go, oh, yeah, okay. That's exactly why he was doing it. You know, sometimes I don't have the whole story, but usually have a pretty good feel for what he was up to. Um, in, in fact, I guess one way to illustrate that this church was planted here in birthed by Pastor Jim, and that was years back. Um, awesome pastor, and all of a sudden, through various circumstances, him and his wife had to leave town. wasn't They didn't step down because of any sin issues or anything like that, but they had to leave. They both lost their jobs at the same week, and both got offered jobs the same week. Isn't that the story? And there were several other things that happened. It was it was pretty cool, but. There was a lot of us going, God, what are you doing? Like, we just planted this church, and it's growing, and it's thriving, and then all of a sudden, poof, the pastor's raptured, and we're without a pastor, you know? And, and what happened? Well, you know, us three, Glenn, Russ, and I got together, and it was like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to rotate. And every week, one of us is going to teach. And that was really tough. Well, I can tell you from my own life, I won't speak for, for, for Glenn and Russ, but I'll speak for me. Um, for the longest time, since very early in my Christian walk, I felt very much called to defend the faith and preach the word. There was only one massive problem. Was terrified of public speaking. Like, I would rather die and attend my own funeral than get up here and speak to a group of people. It's was, it was just terrifying. And over the years, God has been breaking me of this. And, and you know it started with um, him inspiring me to start that podcast on apologetics. And you know, that's just me hiding with a microphone somewhere and talking in private. You know, when I first started it, I had a Blackberry phone and the headphones that came with it, and I'd go hide in the car. I called it my carfish and I would record podcasts in the Carfis. And uh, that slowly started working me of this fear. Well, then we were able to preach on, on Wednesday nights for a while. That also helped a lot. But it was the Sunday mornings that really kind of broke me of the fear. And I actually kind of like it. It's fun. It's it's fun to, you know, teach the word. But for the longest time, it was terrifying. And so I can see, yeah, this is not like heavy-duty trials and tribulations. You know, this is just Mike stressing out about stuff. But again, you can just see, it's a good illustration that you can see God's hand in things. Even when you're like, what are you doing, God? He's doing something. And now there's three different guys who are raised up who could really start three different churches if need was you know there was a need so anyway God's moving even in our trials and tribulations um, and we can see that and so um, perseverance leading to experience or character um, and then experience leading to hope and verse five now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so we see that hope does not disappoint. Um, God has started something in us and we have a hope that God's going to finish it, right? Well, what kind of assurance do we have that he's going to finish it? Besides the fact that he said so in his word. We've got that Holy Spirit within us. We have the love of God and the Holy Spirit within us that seal... Of our salvation Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14 we see that the Holy Spirit is a seal it's it's kind of a um, gosh would be a nice way to say it it's it's that down payment on our salvation if you will you know we know that we have been justified we have that and now that hope is not disappointed verse 6 for when we were still without strength In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, so what do you think it means when it says, when we were still without strength? Well, we didn't have the Holy Spirit. And as we've talked about in previous weeks, the Holy Spirit is what's helping us through this process of sanctification and helping us clean up our lives. Well, we were in the world. We didn't care. We didn't want to stop sinning, right? There was no real uh, uh, repentance going on there. We were not empowered to stop sinning. Okay, We were without strength. We did not have the Holy Spirit. And then in due time, like I just mentioned earlier in the t- this teaching, Christ came at a preordained perfect time. And in that due time, Christ came and he died for the ungodly. The ungodly being us and and. Whoever else in the world is going to trust in Christ. Now, what's fun, too, that word for, that's where I had the Greek word mixed up earlier. That word for is hooper, and it means instead of. Isn't that cool? So we have the doctrine of of substitutionary atonement. It's a big theological way of saying Christ died instead of us. It was, you know, our sins were paid for by him. The punishment we were due, Christ took upon himself. He was our substitute. We should have been the one on the cross. But instead, Christ took that punishment instead of us. So that is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. So now you guys can impress your friends with your big theological words. And uh, moving on to verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we see, uh, um, you know, like the Secret Service or whatever, there, there's men that are willing to dive in front of the president to take a bullet for him. That's crazy, that's really crazy. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine being that devoted to a person that I'd be willing to dive and take a shot for him, right? Well, you know, it's hard to imagine somebody dying for uh, one of our presidents who are not always squeaky clean, okay, but it's even, you know, it's, it's even shocking to us to consider somebody dying for somebody who's truly, like, righteous, a really amazing person. But God, Jesus, was willing to die for us when we were yet sinners. We were his enemies. We were our life was centered around ourselves, our pride, our sin, our own desires, and Christ was willing to die for us. That'll preach. In fact, that second half of that verse, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's one of those, those scriptures that you everybody should just memorize. It's one of those that when you're witness, witnessing to somebody, it's so powerful. That's one of those that penetrates to the core. It's, it's right up there. It's like kind of the top five to ten scriptures you want to memorize when you're uh, telling people about Jesus. Um, and so, um, anyway... Anyway, moving on with that thought, okay? We're going to go into a little section here where Paul's going to bring in a couple much mores. He's, he's showing us, he's, he's kind of looking at, look, Christ uh, was willing to die for you when you were yet a sinner. How much more is he willing to do this thing? Okay, so the much mores. And so verse 9, much more then, having now been justified by his blood, We shall be saved from wrath through him. So, first of all, look, justified by blood. Again, I just, I love beating this dead horse. Are we justified by our works? Are we justified by doing good things? Are we justified by avoiding sin? No, we're justified by his blood. It says it right there. And we are saved from wrath through him. So, Christ, when we were yet enemies of him, when we were sinners, he was willing to die for us, to justify us. How much more will he then save us from wrath? And we see, uh, uh, humana, humana, humana. Where's my scripture reference? Uh, we read this in Romans chapter one, verse eighteen. Very early on, the wrath of God that was re- revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We are saved from that wrath. And so, verse ten. Uh, They're coming to get somebody here. Uh, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So again, here we are, enemies of God. We are opposing his will, his purpose, his son. Okay, And uh, God is willing to do this for his enemies. How much more... Is he willing to sustain us and sanctify us now that we're his friends? Verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation, again, we are brought in harmony with God. We've been reconciled to him. He wasn't reconciled to us. We were reconciled To him. We weren't, I mean, he wasn't the one running away. We were. (laughs) And so, um, that, I I didn't number a couple of those blessings. I guess I could right now. So we have seven blessings. We had peace with God, right? We were enemies. Now we're at peace with him. We have access. We can actually access God. We have hope of the glory of God. Uh, The fourth one, we gain experience through tribulations i know that's hard to imagine that that's a blessing but it is it makes us very strong uh five we have god's love within us six we're safe from future wrath and seven we're reconciled to god now in the last couple minutes we're going to hit a massive rabbit trail because we're going to transition next time i teach we're going to be looking at uh, this situation where we're going to be finishing off this conversation on justification. And Paul, is, is, he's really going to put the capstone on this whole topic of justification, and then he's going to transition to sanctification. And when he does this, he's going to be comparing and contrasting Adam and Jesus to teach us some lessons about justification. Here's where the rabbit trail comes in. There are some churches out there that would uh, like to because of their devotion to what's called theistic evolution, their devotion to millions and millions of years of slow change over time, they want to compromise the word of God. In doing so, they have to allegorize Adam. Adam and Eve could not be real, uh, historical people. They have to be allegorized at that point. So you kind of muddy the waters of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Okay? If... Adam and Eve were not real historical people, my next teaching, everything that Paul is saying from verse 12 to the end of the chapter would be complete moot. It would mean nothing. Meaningless. It would completely undermine his argument. He treats that, Adam, and the creation account as a historical event. Okay? So now we're stuck with a problem here. If it's, it's, it's either a real historical event... Or the doctrine of inerrancy has been hacked off at the knees. Either the Bible is all true, or it's it's just not. Because we're we're told that God breathed this right here. It might have been various authors, but God wrote this through the lips and hands of all these people. Every last word is inherent. Okay? So either it's all right, or it's just not. And so I I just wanted to throw that in there. I could easily, I love apologetics. All you guys that are are new, I'm really into apologetics. I, I just get my kicks out of it. I could easily spend an entire Sunday just looking at scriptures where it was either Jesus or Paul or James or Peter or somebody else who spoke of the creation account in Genesis 1 through 3 as a real historical event. Easily fill a whole Sunday on that. So it's either a historical event, or the scriptures are wrong. I'm going to stick with the scriptures. In fact, you know, as a side note, a rabbit trail embedded in a rabbit trail. Um, in that, in, in the very first verse, we're going to look at um, next week. Uh, we see that death entered through Adam's sin. So what that's saying is there was no death and suffering before Adam. Again, the theistic evolution position has a major problem with this because according to the modern interpretation of science, we have millions and millions and millions and millions of years of death, disease, suffering, thorns in the geologic column, which would mean that before man there was death and suffering and disease. But according to the Bible, the the death, suffering, disease... The process of entropy, if you will, didn't even start until Adam's sin. Now, the Bible does describe how we got those layers. Anybody know? There was a flood. If you just go around and collect some different density dirt in a jar, put some water in there, shake it up, it'll arrange itself into layers. And that's exactly what happened. That's an oversimplification of it. There's a lot more to it than that. But, I mean, that's what we're looking at. Anyway, rabbit trail, reel it in, Mike. So anyway, we got these seven blessings that result from justification. Uh, Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Let's praise him. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for, Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for us instead of us. We are so blessed. Uh, You know, we've got these things that you talk about, and sometimes we take this for granted, but yes, we have peace with you. We have access to you. We have hope of the glory. We have uh, experience new tribulations, which sometimes we don't thank You enough for. <laughs> we have Your Holy Spirit living in our in our heart, and we're saved from wrath. And we're reconciled to You. Thank You so much for these things. Honey.